Well, I think I'm going to miss that title package, all that eerie lead-in to, uh, to my message. Nothing like taking the energy out of the room before somebody comes up to speak, huh? You know? We're in a series called Paranormal, and that's why the eerie music. We're talking about those things that are unreasonable, those things that are irrational, those things that make no sense at all, those things that an intelligent person couldn't possibly believe that are nevertheless taught in the scripture. That's the stuff of our paranormal series. It's a cause worthy of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I do ask that you would bless the words of my mouth. We're going to be talking about uh, things that are unreasonable, things that are unnatural, things that are miraculous, and, and yet things that Christians, on the basis of your word and the evidence that supports your word, believe. We ask, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit in this room, that People wouldn't only hear what I have to say, but they would hear what you have to say and make an application to their own life. So Lord, take what is yours and deliver it to us so that we might be strengthened, not only for ourselves, but for the difference that you would want Christians to make in their sphere of influence. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now see, if you take the paranormal stuff out of the Bible, if you take that miraculous, irrational stuff out of the Bible... You know, almost everybody would believe in Christianity. I mean, there's a lot of good truth uh, in the Bible, things that are helpful in life. And there have been people from every walk of life who have acknowledged the value of the Scripture. Take some of these guys, for example. Uh, this guy, Pele, who said, Wherever you go, there are three icons that everyone knows. Jesus Christ, Pele, and Coca-Cola. Now, if I just block out the, uh, the quote there and just looked at that picture, I could not tell you who that was. Now, 20 years ago, if I saw him upside down kicking a soccer ball through the net, I would say, well, that was Pele. But there's going to come a day, Pele, when people won't know you, but they will still know Jesus Christ. You know, it's the same with John Lennon and Muhammad Ali who said the same thing. Or how about this? You know, if you take the paranormal out, here's what Bob Dylan had to say. Great picture of you, Bob. Uh, being noticed can be a burden. Jesus Christ got himself crucified. Why? Because he got himself noticed, so I disappear a lot, you know. Yeah, Bob, that's probably why Jesus was crucified, because he drew too much attention to himself, you know. Forget that uh, crucified for the salvation of the world stuff, you know. Or how about this guy? Fidel Castro. I never saw a contradiction between the ideas that sustain me and the ideas of that symbol of that extraordinary figure, Jesus Christ, Fidel Castro. You know, if you take the paranormal stuff out, Fidel and Jesus are exactly alike. I mean, Jesus threw all of his dissenters in prison as well. I'm sure, I'm sure he would have done that. You know, or, or this one, you know, more current, Kanye West. I ain't here to argue about his facial features or here to convert atheists to believers. I'm just saying the way schools need teachers, the way Kathy Lee needed Regis, that's the way we all need Jesus, you know. You know, kind of a sidekick to play off of, you know, and Jesus serves us well in that capacity, don't you think? You know, but here in this place, we don't take the paranormal out of the Bible. We don't just talk about the truths that will help you through life. There are those things in the Bible, but there are also those things that are irrational, those things that are other than normal, those things that are miraculous, that are the essence of our Christian faith, and we have tackled them head on without apology. And yet we understand that for some, this is difficult to comprehend. 
The list has been extensive in our series as we wrap it up today. On Easter Sunday, we talked about the walking dead. You know, we believe that Jesus didn't only die on the cross. Many people believe that. No, we go further and we believe that after three days he was raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, we too, you know, have the assurance of new life in this world and in the world to come. We believe that God has given people throughout the scripture supernatural abilities that have just been endowed by their creator. And we believe that he he still does such things. We believe that miracles are possible and we live in expectation of them. You know, we do believe that there are angelic spiritual beings taught in the Bible that are still present today. Last week, Pastor Garrett was here to talk about the dark side. You know, all of these sermons are archived, you know, on our website if you want to go back and listen to any of them, where he talked about uh, fallen angels, about demonic possession and spiritual warfare. And today, we're going to talk about prayers of power. Now, I know you, I know what you're thinking. Another sermon on prayer, ho-hum, wake me when it's over. I heard of a pastor who had a friend who was an actor. And everywhere the actor went, the place was packed out with people. And people hung on every word. And so he said to his actor friend, he says, Why is it that you, speaking fiction, you know, pack the place out and everybody listens to what you have to say when I, speaking the very truth of God, truth that can change people's lives, seem to have very little impact? The actor replied to him, He said, well, well, maybe it's because I talk my fiction as though it were fact, and you talk your facts as though it were fiction. Maybe that's the problem with an expectation that prayer is going to be another ho-hum message. Do we just go through the motions, you know, whether we're hearing a message about prayer, where we're reading about prayer, or when we're actually praying, we don't expect that there's going to be anything that's actually going to occur. Jesus referred to this in his Sermon on the Mount. When he said, when you pray, don't be a hypocrite. Hypocrites love to pray, standing in the synagogues, on the street corners in order to be seen by others. You know, do you pray at the dinner table or wherever you might pray in order to be thought religious? Truly, I tell you, they have what they wanted. They have their reward in full. But when you pray, don't be a hypocrite. Go into your room, close the door. It isn't about what others think about you. Pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, let him then reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. The longer you pray... And the more chance you have of breaking through. And so we pray long and uh, complex prayers. Do not be like them. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. And it can happen to everyone. We're looking at Acts chapter 12 today. Throughout the paranormal series, we've been looking at the miraculous things, the unreasonable things, the paranormal things that occurred in the book of Acts. And today we're reading from Acts chapter 12 a story that uh, comes out of the history of the early church about Peter being freed from prison. Acts chapter 12, let's begin with verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword, one of the leaders of the church. And when Herod saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he was all about, as a politician, 
having high approval ratings. He proceeded to seize Peter also. He said, man, if they liked it when I killed James, wait till I kill Peter. This happened during the festival of Passover or unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. This guy was not going to get away. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying for him. And he's not talking about, you know, this congregation and that congregation and all the congregations across Palestine. He was talking about Christian people. You know, you are the church. Don't ask the church to do something. You are the church. So these people were praying for him. The night before Herod was to bring him out to trial, Peter was sleeping between two of his guards, bound with two chains, and sentries also stood guard at the entrance, heavily guarded. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in that cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I would have liked to see that, you know, like, Peter. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist immediately. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. So Peter did. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. (laughs) I like this. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. (laughs) He thought he was seeing a vision. You know, it's just a dream. He's having some incredible vision or dream. They passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel disappeared, left him standing there. Then Peter said, this must really be happening. (laughs) Now I know that without a doubt, the Lord has sent his angel. This isn't just a dream. He has rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this finally dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. This was the reason they were all in that place, to pray for Peter, to pray for Peter. So he goes to that house. Peter knocks at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, left Peter standing in the street, ran back without opening it, and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. (laughs) You're out of your mind. Now, these people were praying for this. (laughs) They were asking God, who they believed could do something, to do a miracle. And they didn't believe. You're out of your mind, they told her. And she kept insisting, no, it's really Peter, it's really Peter. Oh, they said, it must be his angel, looking for some other kind of explanation, not believing this was possible. But Peter just stood out in the street, kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, obviously not the guy who died, but James, the brother of Jesus, not the brother of John, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. You know, here they were, Christian people, praying for this miracle that they believed could happen. And then when it happened, they couldn't believe that it actually occurred. You know, maybe it's because we're just too close to this. We, we pray uh, so often 
uh, that it's become a usual part of our religious habit without really understanding that when we pray, we are connected to the God who made heaven and earth and that we have access of his throne of grace by the merit of Jesus Christ. There's an old saying that familiarity breeds contempt. You know, you no longer appreciate it. Mark Twain put a twist on that. He said, familiarity breeds contempt and children. That's how Mark Twain looked at it. <laughs> I think it's kind of the spiritual equivalent, you know, to the Righteous Brothers song. And when you think about their name, the Righteous Brothers, you know, the people made righteous. You know, they, they sang a song about you've lost that loving feeling. You know, now it's gone, gone, gone. I wonder if that's true for us. Have we lost that miraculous feeling, you know, that, that loving feeling that, that God can and is capable of doing all manner of things through the power of prayer? You know, are we expecting ho-hum, another sermon on prayer? Well, let me just talk to you about uh, the six top reasons why your prayer's got no power. Do you, do you recognize this guy? from Star Trek. How many Trekkies are out there? Yeah, this is Lieutenant Commander Montgomery Scott, known as Scotty. Beam me up, Scotty. You know, I, I, I didn't, I'm not a Trekkie, but I used to enjoy uh, uh, his uh, Scottish brogue when he would say, Captain Kirk, we got no power. We got no power. You know? And, and I, I think Christians could be saying that about prayer. Our prayers have no power. Our prayers have no power. Well, why do your prayers have no power? Let me suggest six things, six reasons. Uh, why your prayers have no power, why you don't expect this sermon to make any difference in your life. First of all, you don't pray. You don't have because you don't pray. I mean, you, you think, well, something needs to be done here. I wonder what can be done. And in your own power, you try to make things happen, but you don't expect much to happen. You don't pray, and when you do pray, number two, you pray for selfish purposes. You know, our prayers are all about ourselves. You know, the... The epitome of prayer is, of course, the Lord's Prayer. We sometimes call it the family prayer here. And, and most of us who have been Christian for a while know it by heart. In fact, later in the service, we're going to pray that prayer. And when we pray it, I want you to pay special attention because it's a, it's a carefully craft, crafted prayer. There's an introduction, our Father who art in heaven, you know, kind of sets us up for, you know, we're praying to God in heaven. And it concludes by, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. But in between the introduction and the conclusion are seven petitions. And if you examine those seven petitions, you'll discover that six of them talk about spiritual differences that we pray God would bring about in our world because the world of Christians is based on a spiritual understanding that God is in charge of everything. Only one of them has to deal with material things. And even that's a spiritual condition. Give us today our daily bread not worried about tomorrow, just what I need for today, so I'm acting in faith even there. I think that my prayers, and I would guess that yours, are just the opposite. Six times we pray for things that we think that we need that are materialistic, and only one, maybe, spiritual things. Here's what the scripture has to say about uh, powerless prayers, because we don't pray and because we pray for selfish reasons. You do not have because you do not ask God, from James chapter 1. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Your heart is not fashioned like the heart of God. You know, as a kid, I went to a Christian school. Uh, highly recommend it uh, today as well. And, and in that Christian school, we had memory work every day. And, and part of that was memorizing Bible passages, but sometimes uh, well-known hymns. And 
to this day, there are some of those hymns that still rock around in my head. One of them was, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You heard that song? You know? How does it go? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We have not because we don't turn to God. Uh, how many times have you heard to say there's, there's nothing left to do but pray? <laughs> Why not start there <laughs> instead of finishing there? You know, that should be a, a first recourse for Christian people. We have not because we don't pray, and when we pray, we pray for selfish reasons. Uh, third, because our prayers often lack the conviction of faith. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews. When you ask, uh, sorry, James chapter 1, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. I believe that God made heaven and earth. I believe there's nothing that he cannot do. And I believe that I have a right to pray to him, not in my own good works, but because Christ has taken everything onerous about me away, nailed it to the cross, all of my sins, God sees me through the merit of Jesus. So we believe and do not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the waves on the wind, blown and tossed this way and that. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And yet the scripture is replete with stories of people like in Acts chapter 12, you know, who were praying for Peter's release, paying for Peter's release, and then when it happened, they said, oh, it can't happen. You know, as though they didn't believe that. Or you go back to the Christmas accounts of Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, who became the mother and father of John the baptizer. You know, Peter goes into the Holy of Holies to offer incense. He was chosen by Lot to, to meet with God. And then when an angel shows up, he's shocked. Why should he be shocked? Would you be shocked? If God showed up and answered to your prayer, would you be surprised or would you expect that God should answer prayer? When you pray, you must have faith and not doubt. I got to tell you, in the formation of this service, you know, I uh, work with a lot of people on staff, just incredible, gifted, tremendous people. Uh, Linda Brady, who sometimes uh, leads our singing and sings in the choir, she's the administrative assistant uh, for worship our worship team, she puts all of these slides together. And let me tell you, between the center screen, the TV screen, and all the songs and the backgrounds, uh, there are days of work to be done there, you know, to get all those files ready. And, and she told me, Pastor Howard, you are notorious for getting your sermon outline to me late. You know, this Friday, frankly, I have things to do, and I'm going to leave on time. And if your message isn't done, then tough on you. Uh, She didn't speak to me that way, but I got the drift. And, uh, and she said, by noon, it has to be to me by noon on Friday, you know, so that I can get screens done. Because the last time you preached, I had to work till almost 6 o'clock. And I said, okay, okay, I'll get them done. And, and uh, as I stand before you in the presence of God, uh, my sermon was to her by 1030. And, uh, and I continued to work on some other things, and then I had to run an errand, and I was going to come back and check my screens with her and highlight the different scriptures uh, at her computer. And, and I came back, and she and Anne-Marie, who has a cube right next to hers, uh, were almost in mourning. And I said, so why all that sad faces? And she said, 
in the middle of uh, working on the service, my computer crashed. And uh, I was saving, manually saving, not just trusting in the autosave, but manually saving throughout the thing. But when I rebooted the computer, the files were not there. So I'm devastated. That's like 10 hours worth of work easily. I said, well, did you pray about it? After all, I'm preaching on prayer. <laughs> and so we, we had a little conventicle right there. We just got together and, and we, just, we just stopped everything right in the middle of the business day. And we, we prayed that God would restore these files. I said, boot it up again. She booted it up again and the files came back. And I could go on and on with stories like this. I mean, when you pray, you have to have faith believing it. I'm not saying that uh, that always works. God's will will be done, and maybe, maybe he wants her to work till you know, 10 o'clock. I don't know. But maybe he needs to teach her some things. I, but I believe that he could restore those files. Now, Saturday night, back in the day when we did tradition service on Saturday night, a very traditional crowd, you know, only by the book, nothing by the book, don't say anything that's not by the book kind of Saturday night service. And, and you know, they're good people. That's the way I was raised. I enjoyed that service, enjoyed, you know, what we did, singing the traditional things. And, and uh, I was conducting that service one night. And again, very traditional people. And uh, I just felt prompted. One of our volunteers at the back uh, had been in the week before, faithful guy, uh, well in his 70s, uh, had come in and made an appointment with me the week before to plan his funeral. He'd been diagnosed with a a cancer in his brain and he wasn't expected to live even six weeks and he'd come in and actually planned his funeral I was shocked as anyone and so I was conducting the service that night and he was back there with his wife as usual volunteering and I, I don't often feel this I'm not that guy but I felt prompted by God to do something about that and so in this very traditional only by the book only things that are in the book I said uh, Gil come down here and people were kind of shocked, like, that isn't in the book. That isn't in the book. And I, said, and I told everybody about his diagnosis. I told them that he had been in my office this week and why. And I said, if there are any of you who are his friends in the church who want to come up and lay hands on him and pray with me. Like I said, that's not, that's not our modus operandi. We don't do that, typically. I said, I just feel compelled to pray for him. And so uh, some people came up, you know. A little fearful of the criticism they might receive maybe from their friends for doing what's not in the book, you know. And, and we put our hands on him. We prayed for him. And then we, we concluded the service and we went home. Gil is still with us and they can't find any traces of his cancer. Now, it doesn't always happen. Our prayers are not mandates to God. But you should believe that God can do anything, and you should pray in expectation that God can and often does. Reason number four why our prayers got no power. Uh, we pray outside of God's will uh, for us or for others. Taking from 1 John, this is an important passage. If, if you write none other down, write 1 John chapter 5, look it up later. This is the absolute confidence that we have when we approach God. That if we ask anything and it's what he wants to happen, if we ask according to his will, our prayer can trigger it, but it's in his will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If we ask anything according to his will, as I mentioned, our prayers are not mandates to God. We can't force God's hand 
by praying strong, faithful prayers. You know, we can't even get more people together and pray the same prayer and force God's hand. According to God's will, it must be done. We pray requests. We know that he is the wise parent and we are the foolish child. And we just say, you know, as foolish children, we would kind of like this result, wise father. And we expect the wise father to do what is best for us, which may not be what we ask. You know, in regard to James who died and Peter who was rescued, why church prayed for James, I'm sure, too. Why did he die? I don't know. Maybe the father said, I want to do James a favor and spare him, you know, 10, 15, 20 more years of life on earth and bring him home to heaven because we are so earthbound in our thinking. We don't know what God is doing, but I do know that he can do anything, and I do know that he responds favorably towards his children. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Father, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. Don't let me have to suffer. Don't let me have to die the death that I know is coming. If there's any other way, Father, choose that way. And he concluded his prayers, we all should, but nevertheless, not what I just said, but what you want, let that be done. And we know what that will was, that Jesus would die on the cross. Did the Father hear his prayer? Absolutely. Could Jesus have prayed more faithfully? No. But he prayed according to the will of his Father. Fifth reason why our prayers got no power. You know, our, our heart is not right. Uh, you will rarely attend a service in this place where we don't just lay it out before the Lord in confession. We just say, Lord, you know, I am unworthy except by your grace. Trish did a great job of leading us through a moment of prayer, just acknowledging, you know, our sinfulness, blind, following blind guides often in life. And Father, we just confess that, and she announced that we have our forgiveness. It's important as we go to the Lord in prayer that we first confess our sins. Lord, I hope there's nothing standing between me and thee. You know, if there is, forgive it, Lord, and make it clear to me. The Lord's not going to encourage bad behavior on your part, you know, if, if you're functioning in a, in a bad way. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Not prayers of pastors, just prayers of people who are perfectly forgiven. Christian prayer is powerful. Elijah was a human being. Elijah, a prophet in the Old Testament, he was just like you, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly because of Jezebel and Ahab's sinfulness that they would be taught a lesson. He said, Lord, don't let it rain on their kingdom. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. You talk about drought. And then he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop as a, shine, as a sign of God's favor. You know, we, we, our heart has to be right. Uh, we confess our sin. Lord, let there be nothing between me and thee, and uh, hear my prayer. Finally, uh, we have to be careful that our prayer doesn't have ulterior motives. And we read this passage earlier from Matthew chapter 6. You know, when Jesus said, truly I say to you, you know, if you pray in order to be seen by others, you have your reward in full. You know, if, if you're praying in order to be thought to be a religious person, well, you got what you wanted. Don't expect God to answer your prayer. You know, you should, be a, you should be a person who prays quietly and without attention to yourself. Uh, you should not be a person who believes that you're going to be heard because you can pray better prayers than somebody else. Don't be like them. Your Heavenly Father knows, you know, what you need. God isn't interested in show. You know, we, we can't, you know, force his hand by being more pious than other people. Well, I just gave you six reasons why... Uh, our prayers sometimes have no power. 
and uh, there's a side of me that says, don't complicate the matter. When you pray, just know that you, as a child, are talking to your father who loves you. You know, a father who has at his recourse every kind of answer that you need and all the power to bring it about. That's all you need to remember. You don't need to remember all these six reasons. I think you should know about them. It, it, it's kind of like, for me, you know, why we teach children long division why we ask them to, uh, to memorize multiplication tables, you know, they have calculators for that. You know, or why we teach children to spell, you know, you have spell check for that. You know, I, I think we need to know how this works. And so as Christian people, I hope that you've been blessed to understand how this works. But don't get caught up in the detail. Don't believe that through the detail you can force God to act. Just know that some of these reasons are reasons why God doesn't always honor or hear your prayer. But let me finish on a positive note. Two tremendous reasons why you can have confidence in your prayer. The first comes from Hebrews chapter 4. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God. The high priest went into the Holy of Holies for us. Jesus has gone into the very presence of the Father in heaven for us. Uh, Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, you know. Jesus is in heaven for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. No, Jesus walked the earth. He has been in human flesh and he's been tempted in every way. He knows what it's like to be a human, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. One of the reasons we have such confidence is because we know Jesus is in heaven. And we know that he understands the human condition. He knows what it's like to lose a friend. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. And he's in heaven making uh, intercession for us. So we have confidence knowing that we have an advocate, you know, with the Father. And then the the final reason that I want to share with you too. And this is a powerful uh, teaching from Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness... We do not know what we ought to pray for. You know, we are, we are misguided in most of our prayer concerns. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with wordless groans. And the one who searches the hearts, namely the Heavenly Father in Heaven, knows the mind of the Spirit who lives in us because the Spirit intercedes for God's pe- people according to the will of God. See, I kind of think of the Holy Spirit as the translator for my prayers, as though he speaks a heavenly language and I speak an earthly language. So I say, Father, what I really need, because I'm tired of paying repair bills, what I really need is a new car, so Jesus, make it happen. And the Holy Spirit says, Father, what Steve really meant to say, that he's lacking on patience. And he's a bit materialistic. So, Father, I wouldn't do that right now for him. Here's how I would do that. You know, the Holy Spirit intercepts our prayers, and, and he makes them, you know, what God would want us to pray. Uh, so we have this confidence that Jesus himself is before the Father's throne, and the Holy Spirit will take our childish prayers and make them mature and acceptable to the Father. Let me finish with a prayer for you and for me. Gracious Lord, I, I thank you for this gift. I, I thank you that we don't just wait to discover what you will do in our lives, that we have access even now to your throne of grace. It's not just about going to heaven. Our faith isn't just for the day that we die. Our faith is for now. And our faith gives us confidence to pray powerful prayers now. And we know that when we pray, 
that you hear our prayer and that you engage our life. Lord, help us uh, to rise above the ho-hum attitude about prayer and to believe that you can and, and you are willing and, and you can free us from the chains uh, that Peter was freed from and, and, and you can bring a result that is miraculous and we should expect it and we should believe that it could happen and we should pray more often and, and, and uh, more fervently because of this gift you've given us. Lord, grant it to those who are hearing this message today so that their world can be changed, but not just for them, but for the difference they will make in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.